Philippians chapter 3, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you haven't already, we'll be there in a moment. We continue our study here in Philippians 3, and we're going to be taught here this morning that no matter how good you try to be, it's never enough to earn your salvation. It's never enough to earn forgiveness of sins. You cannot earn that. Forgiveness of sins is a gift from God. It is Jesus Christ alone who is sufficient to save us from our sins and to secure us for eternal life. That is what Paul will tell us and he will show us by way of his own testimony. He was a man who knew firsthand that being right with God could not be earned not even with the best credentials or by the greatest amount of effort. So let's look together at Philippians 3. Follow along as I begin reading at verse 8, and I will read through verse, uh, I'm sorry, verse 4, and I will read through verse 8. Philippians 3, verse 4 through verse 8. Paul writes, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, but Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Many people live under the illusion that all good people go to heaven. Some assume that if you just live a life that's good enough, God will have to let you into His heaven someday. You may even hear people say, well, I'm I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as compared to somebody else. And it's often the bank robber they compare themselves to or the murderer or something like that. Or even, I'm not as bad as my neighbor. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach that you, if you're just good enough, God will have to let you into His heaven. In fact, what we see from Paul's life in these verses is that when it came to his relationship with Christ, he had learned what to count as loss and what to count as gain. Paul had learned that confidence in the flesh is loss, is worthless. Confidence in Christ is priceless. Confidence in Christ is gain. Note first that he makes a very clear point here that confidence in the flesh is worthless. 
Confidence in what you can do or what you've done, it's worthless. Last week we saw that a true believer in and follower of Jesus Christ puts no confidence in the flesh. Paul goes on now in verses 4 through 8 to show how foolish this is. He's going to use his own life as an illustration of foolishness. A lot of us can do that. I've often uh, told my kids, uh, don't do this, do this. (laughs) Ask me how I know. (laughs) Um, Or don't ask me how I know, just trust me. Trusting in your own good works, however you classify those, or however you figure out what good works are, that's worthless. And Paul makes this really clear here. If there's anything you think you can bring to God and say, look at me, I'm okay, right? God says, no, 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 I'm looking to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm looking to my son who died for your sins. If there's anyone who should have been able to put confidence in what he could do to earn his salvation, it was Paul. Look again at verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul ought to have been able to measure up to anyone else who thought that they had reason for confidence in the flesh. He goes on in verse 5 to list his, and these are impressive credentials, humanly speaking. He's listing his credentials, which he had obtained before he trusted in Jesus as Savior, before Christ. In fact, he was a very religious man. Note I say religious, not a Christ follower, not a believer in Jesus. We heard him say it. He was a persecutor of the church, in fact, but that was part of his religion speaking. That was how he was living out his religion. He was not one who was relying on the Lord Jesus Christ, relying on God. Look at verse 5 again. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. These first few credentials he shares had nothing to do with his own effort. In fact, these were things he inherited by birth. He says in verse 5 that he was circumcised on the eighth day. The Judaizers made such a big deal of being circumcised, and we heard this last week. We saw this in these earlier verses in chapter 3 last week. They made such a big deal of being circumcised that Paul puts this first. He wants to deal with this false teaching first. This meant that he wasn't a convert to Judaism. He was born into a Jewish family, and they practiced obediently the law. They practiced obedience. They followed the instruction given in the law, which we hear in Leviticus 12.3, to circumcise a newborn male uh, child on the eighth day after their birth. Paul also points out that he was of the people of Israel. In other words, he could follow his family tree. He could look at his genealogy and go back in his family tree, all the way back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Impressive 
credentials by birth. And then Paul mentions that he is from the tribe of Benjamin. About this, uh, what Warren Wearsby wrote is very helpful. He says the Judaizers would understand Paul's reference to the tribe of Benjamin because Benjamin and Joseph were Jacob's favorite sons. They were born to Rachel, Jacob's favorite wife. Israel's first king came from Benjamin. And this little tribe was faithful to David during the rebellion under Absalom. Paul's human heritage, he says, was, was something to be proud of. In human terms, he's speaking. Something to be proud of. When measured by this standard, he passed with flying colors. And then Paul mentions that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And he may have been referring to having both a Jewish mother and Jewish father. He was a pure Jewish ancestry. He may have also been referring to his cultural upbringing and training in the languages. All of these credentials, all of these things that Paul lists first are all things over which he had no control. These were his by birth. They were a result of the family in which he was born. But Paul doesn't stop there. Now he goes on to list some impressive fleshly credentials that he had achieved on his own. Starting at the end of verse 5. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, verse 6, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. There, at the end of verse 5, he says, as to the law, he was a Pharisee. Now, we, don't, we don't like calling people Pharisees these days. Uh, that, that's a negative thing if we say that. But in Paul's day, we, we, we call people hypocrites. We don't call them Pharisees. But in Paul's day, things were different. As Pastor John MacArthur says, to be a Pharisee was to be a member of an elite influential and highly respected group of men who has who fastidiously lived to know interpret guard and obey the law that's interesting isn't it they took god's law seriously and then in verse 6 paul says as to zeal he was a persecutor of the church paul was enthusiastically devoted to having Christians killed. To having Jesus followers pursued. And the Bible leaves no question about his passion in his persecution of the church. In fact, in fact Acts 8.3 tells us of Paul before his conversion but Saul, which was his name before Jesus, arrested him on the road to Damascus and saved his soul. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This is a religious person who takes God's law seriously and yet... And yet, he has no knowledge, no heart knowledge of Jesus Christ. Paul was clearly devoted to Judaism, going above and beyond to oppose Christianity. And the final credential that he mentions is his 
righteousness under the law, to which he was, he says, he was blameless. He was a rule keeper. In other words, he thoroughly followed the Mosaic law. He kept the law. So anyone could look at Paul's life and see that outwardly he appeared to be a blameless person in his dedication to the law. And if salvation depended on having a good upbringing, being religious, being sincere, and being a good rule keeper, Paul was qualified. You'll often hear this of people, you know, when you get in a conversation with somebody and say, talking about some other religion that does not believe the truth of the Bible, say, well, they're sincere. They're sincerely wrong. Paul, by earthly standards, was qualified to be accepted by God. But note verse 7. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul wants his readers to understand clearly that the qualities that would have seemed to put him in right standing, in good standing in the eyes of the world, in God's eyes even, according to the world. He counted as loss for the sake of following the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had been extremely religious, but he was extremely lost because he had not trusted in Jesus Christ and in Him alone to be made right with God. All the things that he had previously been counting on to put him in good standing with God, he now saw clearly. And because this was the Holy Spirit at work in him, him helping him see clearly, he saw those things as a waste, as a loss. They were worthless for making him right with God. According to Paul, a man who had done his best in his own efforts, putting confidence in his flesh, was a total loss. A total waste. When Paul looked at his life, he had come to understand that all of the things he previously counted as gain were in fact counted as a loss, a waste for the sake of knowing Christ. The things that he had done in the flesh did not count in God's eyes. They, they did not measure up to God's righteous standard. They didn't matter. What did matter was his standing with Christ. Right here is a good place to stop and ask, what kinds of things might you be counting on in the flesh to gain good standing with God? Are you proud of the fact that your parents took you to church from infancy and that you've been attending church ever since? Or maybe you're counting on your church membership to make you right with God. Or maybe you're counting on the fact that you've been baptized to make you right with God. 
Or does the fact that you read your Bible and pray make you confident that God accepts you? Maybe you're resting your hope in the fact that you give in the offering, or you give to missionaries, or you give to other good causes. Or maybe you're resting your hope that you're right with God on the fact that one time you went forward when there was an invitation and you prayed a prayer. Maybe you look at your life like Paul did and say, I have an impressive background. I have impressive credentials. I'm a good person. I've lived an honest life. And you may be able to say those things about your life. But you need to hear the Scriptures. And you need to hear what God says. You need to hear today. That those things don't count in God's economy. They don't add up to forgiveness of sins in God's economy. Not even walking an aisle and praying a prayer if you didn't truly trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and in Him alone for the forgiveness of your sins. Because we could give somebody a sample, it's just pray this prayer and you're saved. It's not true if they aren't praying it from their heart. None of these things that you can name or point at in your life, none of the things that you've done that give you confidence in the flesh count for anything to make you right with God. They are all a loss if that's what you're counting on. But Paul wants to make this clear. Confidence in Christ is gain. Confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ is everything. Look at verse 8 again. Indeed, he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Oh, Paul makes it clear here that he had come to understand that his heritage, his background, his upbringing, and anything he considered to be a good work, those all counted only as loss. And he goes even further in verse 8 to say, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. What is of value to Paul? And what is of value to everyone who wishes to have peace with God, who wishes to be made right with God, Paul says, is the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Knowing Christ. Why is that so important? Why is knowing Christ so important? To know Christ Jesus, my Lord. We can hear why in the Gospel of John, chapter 17 and verse 3, which says this, And this is eternal life. That's, that's forgiveness of sins. That's being made right with God. That's God giving you the gift of eternal life because your sins are forgiven through Christ. John 17, 3, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, 
There it is. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Understand here that knowledge of Jesus Christ is not simply knowing about Him. But it's knowing Him as Savior and Lord. Might I suggest that you could go to church your whole life and know everything there is to know about Jesus Christ and actually not come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because you haven't trusted in Him and in Him alone for your salvation and forgiveness of sins. Knowing Christ Jesus means knowing Him by believing in Him for the forgiveness of sins. And it means that because He forgives your sins and saves you, you, in turn, you devote your life to following Him and obeying Him and honoring Him and glorifying Him and pleasing Him because He's the one who died for your sins. He's the one who forgives you and keeps you. He's the one who rose from the dead for your justification. You know Jesus Christ your Lord when He gives you eternal life because you have repented of your sins. The Bible tells us clearly, repent. Jesus calls sinners to repent. To recognize, I am a sinner and I cannot save myself, but Jesus died to do that. To forgive my sins and save me. I repent. I turn. I want to turn from my sinful life and I want to obey and honor God. You know Jesus Christ your Lord when He gives you eternal life because you've whether you fall on your knees or not, you've fallen on, on your knees in your heart before God and humbled yourself before Him, believing in Him as your Savior, not bringing anything with you to say, I believe and look at my works. I believe and look at my life. and I believe and look at my upbringing. I believe and look at my church membership. I believe and look at my baptism. Nothing else counts. I believe is all God asked of you. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Knowing Jesus is the only way to heaven. Knowing Jesus is the only way to have your sins forgiven. Any work you attempt in the flesh counts as lost. It's worthless for gaining eternal life. It is only through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that you are made right with God. Paul says, says it this way in Romans 4 in verse 5. And to the one who does not work, but believes in Him. What he's talking about is not, not working for a livelihood. He's talking about not working for your salvation. And to the one who does not work, we can put in parentheses here, for his salvation. The one who does not work, but believes in Him, that's Jesus, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And to all believers in Jesus Christ, we say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. That all God asks is our faith in Him. The only thing we can bring to God is our sin. Even our good works are counted as worthless in God's economy because they aren't good enough 
to be right with God without trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ completely. Paul had been a model Jew. But it wasn't until Jesus confronted him on that road to Damascus when he received Jesus by faith. He was totally changed. And he was made right with God. Not because of any any religious service that he was performing. Not because he was serious. Not because of his upbringing. Not because of his background. The Bible repeatedly makes this clear. That it is through faith in Jesus alone we are saved. Here's how the Bible says it in Again, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right, gave the right, it's a gift, gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's a pretty good summary of our passage this morning, isn't it? Paul's own efforts were worthless. They were futile. And so are yours and mine. Listen again to Paul from Philippians 3.8. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Everything before And outside of faith in Jesus Christ, Paul counted as rubbish. That word rubbish, it's interesting, in the original language described things such as scraps thrown to dogs. The things that you, oh, I'm not going to eat that. Throw that on the floor, let the dog have it. Could Could have also referred to dung. It was used sometimes to refer to dung. You get the picture? Paul was counting all things as a waste compared to the excellence of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. Knowing Christ Jesus as Lord through faith alone far surpasses any human efforts or achievements. You know what it means to be looking to the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus is Lord, whether you acknowledge Him as Lord or not. But what God wants you to do is surrender your life to Jesus and count all that you thought you could bring to Him as dung for gaining your right standing with God. And look to Him as your Lord, your King, your your ruler, best of all, your Savior who forgives your sins. And even believers, hear me now, church, even believers who have known Jesus for many years need to keep remembering this. Does God call to you to be obedient to His Word? Yes, He does. He calls you to know His Word, to know Christ, to get to know Him better through His Word. He gives you His indwelling presence of His Holy Spirit to help you obey. Does your obedience keep you saved? No. (laughs) 
No, your, your obedience does not keep you saved. Jesus keeps you saved. But you ought to want to obey the one who has saved you. And if you are saved, if you are saved by God, if you have His Holy Spirit, whether you're always walking in obedience to God fully or not, you should have a desire. There's, the desire should be there, and God should be working on your heart when you're straying from Him. Even believers who have known Jesus for many years need to keep remembering that it is not our obedience that keeps us saved. It is Jesus who keeps us saved. And yes, He calls to us to be obedient, to honor Him with our lives. We obey to honor Christ. We obey to glorify Him. We obey out of gratitude. Not to earn a right standing with God. We're right with God through faith in Christ alone because of His finished work. Finished work on the cross. Is it Jesus alone whom you are resting in completely today? Is it Jesus alone you are resting on completely today for the forgiveness of your sins? For being made right with God, my prayer is that this will be true of every one of us. And that if you have not confessed your sins, if you have not repented and turned to Jesus, today would be an incredible opportunity for you to not leave this place until you've done that. You can do it right where you're at. You don't need a special prayer. You need a heart that's in the right place. You need a a desire to be forgiven. I want to be forgiven my sins. I want to believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. You tell God that, He saves you. He makes you His own. He keeps you.